0: Well, let's turn in our Bibles, please, to the 23rd chapter of Luke. We're going to talk today about a man that's got saved. This is Resurrection Day anniversary, the day of the year that we choose to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, him who died for our sins. But there's a lot of stories at that cross and I would like to talk about another story that happened there at that cross that for the most part we overlook. And there's so much information if we just stop and think about it of what must have happened there that has been pretty much overlooked I think Because of the big story. We keep talking the big story about Jesus over and over and over. But in the 23rd chapter of Luke, in verse 33, it says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him And the malefactors, or criminals, were crucified also. One on the right hand and the other on the left. I want to talk about those two guys today. Those guys were unsaved. It says in verse 26, I think, And as they led Jesus away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus because Jesus wasn't able to carry it. Let me explain something that I have finally this year satisfied myself to know There are four kinds of crosses. There are four kinds of crosses that were used to kill people. The cross that they used, I'm convinced now, was in the shape of a T. It was not the cross like you wear around your neck. Because the thing that they gave to the Cyrenian to carry for Jesus the malefactors, the sinners, the criminals, they had one too. The name for the whole cross is two words. One that indicates that there is a post that stands erect, but the word for this cross here that they gave the Cyrenian to carry for Jesus is a word that means to place something horizontally. So this cross that they gave the Cyrenian to carry is the thing that Jesus carried that he was laid down and nailed to. And on the Roman crucifixion crew of soldiers There was five men. That's the way the Romans did it. Four soldiers and a man in charge. And what they did when they laid them down on the ground and nailed their wrist to this cross piece, then they picked up two men on each end of that thing and they set it up on the part of the cross that stood erect and those parts stayed there all the time. And they were no more than six feet high. And you'll see in this place the way they were configured, the three men who were on those three courses could hear the voices of the other two. They were so close. In a normal tone of voice. So they were close. But there was a notch on that post. And somebody said, well, you know, the pictures I see, they way up in the air. Well, how did they get there? Nobody ever figures that out. But the way it was done was four soldiers picked up the man who was nailed to the cross piece and set the cross piece up on top of that six-foot post. Well, somebody else says, wait a minute, if it wasn't but six-foot high, some of those people were that tall, weren't they? No, they really wasn't. Most of them were about 5 foot four. One preacher, black preacher up in North Carolina called Paul, saw Paul that little midget because they said he was shorter than everybody else and they figured he wasn't but about five feet tall. But what they did, it had to be short enough to where soldiers could lift the man, two on each end, and set it on top of the upright, the erect post. But if you remember they always folded up the knees of a person who was crucified on the cross. So six foot would have been tall enough for most anybody because they doubled his knees up anyhow. The Romans invented this style of dying so that anybody who even passed by and saw it would not want to be in the same place. It was used as a deterrent for all sin. They made it so bad that it was a deterrent to anybody who even saw it. Because you see, when they hung by their, their wrist, their lungs immediately filled up with fluid. And they bent their knees so they could push down on the nails on their crossed ankles and get a breath of air and then they'd have to sag back down. Most of the people on the cross died as asphyxiation of no oxygen. And they died without clothes on. We'll see that. There was the most humiliating way that a person could be executed. So they took all the the criminals and Jesus' clothes too and threw them in a pile and executed these people naked. Matthew said that what he saw in his version of this thing, now understand These things are written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John was the only one there. So the rest of them had to hear the story from John. Luke was the historian of the bunch, but John was the only one that actually saw this. And you know Mary was there, but she was afar off, the book said. She wasn't real close. But John was pretty close because Jesus from the cross told John, Behold your mother. You look after her, he told John. So the story comes from each one of these gospel writers, but John was the one that was there that saw everything and heard everything. He's the only one that could give somebody an honest report of what was said by these three men on the cross. And Matthew said that both criminals were cursing Jesus to start with. I want to make that point. These two men, these two criminals came to this crucifixion as unsaved people. Verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, what he was saying, the people who want me dead do not understand exactly what they're doing. They don't understand that this is going to affect the whole world and what it's going to do to everybody in the whole world who will ever be born later, chances of living eternity with Jesus Christ. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Please understand this. They had all their clothes in a pile. Those four soldiers that were there at the crucifixion, Roman soldiers, Divided up the clothes of the people who were killed. They could do that except for one thing. Jesus' coat was knitted or woven in one piece. It wasn't made like our clothes are today with this this patterns where different parts were sewed together and had seams. This thing was seamless. So, somebody like people knit, I guess, created this coat of his in one piece. So, the only way they could divide it was to make it worthless to anyone that got a part of it. So, they decided, which is the way that most people decided things that they couldn't decide back in the days of Jesus, they cast lots. Now I've heard some preachers make a big deal of how sorry it was for them to cast lots. That bunch of soldiers was gambling. Well, you could say that or you couldn't say that because Judas was replaced on the deacon board by the rest of the disciples casting lots or throwing dice. But see, my Bible says that God is in charge of what comes up on the dice. So people in that day, when they couldn't make a decision, they couldn't get an agreement. They cast lots to let God decide what should be done. And God was the one they said it came up, decided what was going to come up on the on the casting lots. Or, if you will, the forerunner of the game of shooting dice. So that's the reason they cast lots for part of it, because his coat would have been ruined if they'd tried to divide it. Wouldn't be nothing but a bunch of rags. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided Jesus, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. They were making fun of him. The rulers were making fun of him. The religious rulers were making fun of Jesus' death, and it said the people just stood and watched. Understand, please, the crowd of people that were there at the crucifixion were a group of employees of the temple. They were ordered there by the high priest. They weren't the crowds that threw palm branches down the week before as Jesus entered Jerusalem. They went by a shortcut from Pilate's Hall that night to Golgotha or Calvary the next morning. And it wasn't but what I've been told, 3,300 steps. Wasn't very far. And they stayed off the main road so the people in town wouldn't see it. They didn't want them to know what they were doing with Jesus, the one that they made such a fuss over. So it was a bunch of local just people who were hand-picked, that was in the crowd. That's the ones that were saying crucify him, crucify him. It wasn't the people in town. That's one reason the religious rulers wanted him dead is because too many of the people in town were wanting to follow him and they was afraid they'd all quit the church and follow him. He saved others. Let him save himself. That was what they were picking at him about. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. But vinegar, sour wine was what it was, was also a painkiller. So it could have been something. I don't know their intention. The Bible doesn't say it. but that same thing was offered to people when they were in pain. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. They made fun of him because he said he was their king. Now this next five verses, starting in verse 39, is really the heart of the story that I want us to get this morning. They're just five little verses of all that's written about the crucifixion of Christ. And one of the malefactors, one of the criminals that was hanging next to Jesus, which was hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us too. But the other, verse 40, answering him. If one was on the right and one was on the left, the one who answered him spoke across Jesus. Answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation that he's in, don't you see that you're in the same place he's in? And we, he said, indeed, we're justly. We're we're condemned justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. He's done nothing wrong. Don't you know that? Don't you see that? And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me, when thou comest into thy kingdom, and Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. A couple other places where the word paradise is used, but this word refers to the second chapter of Revelation. When they said that paradise, was where the tree of life was. It's in heaven. This paradise was in heaven. And so what Jesus was saying to him, tonight you will be with me when I die in heaven where I'm going. Now there's some points I want to make. Both of these criminals, when they came to Calvary, when they came to Golgotha and was hung on those crosses, both of them was cussing Jesus. Wasn't either one of them saved. Wasn't either one of them Christians. And here is this criminal in only a matter of minutes with Jesus in the time between Pilate's Hall and Calvary. Calvary the hill where the crosses were, the uprights were already there waiting on them. All They, had, they brought that cross piece with them and they were nailed to it and put up on those uprights. Only in that time this man had a chance to realize what is obvious here that he realized. I've got written in my notes, as God works, now, I want you to notice something. The criminal started out cursing Jesus. And the second thing that happened, he developed a fear of God. What did he ask the other man? Don't you have any fear of God whatsoever? So it's obvious he began to fear God. He also realized the sinful position he was in because he said, They're treating us just the way they should. We deserve it. He called on Jesus to save him. That brought about the realization of who Jesus is to this man who minutes before, maybe hours before, didn't even know who Jesus was. Maybe he was in on some of what Happened the week before when Jesus came into Jerusalem. I don't know. Doesn't say. He called Jesus Lord, which means in their tongue, Master. You are above me, Jesus. I know that. You're the one in charge. What did Paul say on the road? Lord, same thing. What should I do? Master, what should I do? Now it's obvious in Paul's conversion, God had been working with him through the Holy Spirit for a while. There's no word here that says that God has been working with this man. This man just minutes before was cussing him. but he came to Jesus Christ the same way everybody comes to Jesus Christ. He was made aware of who Jesus is and what Jesus could mean in his life. And it happened in minutes. Have you heard somebody say, well, you know, so-and-so came from the church to the house and they were going to witness to me about Jesus Christ, but I was watching my favorite TV show and I really wasn't in a very good position to have to listen to this guy from the church. This guy right here was hanging on a cross. He had minutes to live. He knew that. Everybody in that day knew about death on a cross at one time, the Romans crucified 2,000 people and put them up alongside the road. Everybody knew about it. And he didn't say, well, I, you know, I couldn't follow Jesus because I was in a kind of a bad place to listen to him. <laughs> he sure was. But there's not a place too bad, this story says, not to listen to Jesus. But that's another point. Jesus didn't witness to this man. Nobody did. Jesus didn't try to argue or debate his way of doing things and try to convince this man to follow him. Think about it for a moment. Nobody said anything to it. He came to this realization by himself. With just what he happened to see. He realized that Jesus had a kingdom because he said, carry me with you. Let me be with you. He realized also that there's life after death. Some kind of way, he figured that out. He also figured out that wherever you happen to be or whoever you are, the best place you can be is with Jesus. The best place you can be is with Jesus. Now think on these things, please. I mean, this is just observation. You think about it. You think about the situation. If you see this picture in your mind about what's going on, this criminal had nothing that made him worthy to be saved by Jesus Christ. Jesus hadn't even started the church. What does Jesus start preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God wasn't for fifty-two days till the Passover that 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 Jesus that Peter preached. There wasn't even a church. When Jesus says, today you will be with me, this man was saved. Jesus guaranteed it. it wasn't about joining the church. It wasn't about walking down an aisle and shaking the preacher's hand. It wasn't about baptizing. It wasn't about any of those things. The only thing this was about is a man changed his way of thinking. He started believing something that he had never believed before. And that, people, is what salvation is all about. And it can happen in the last hour of your death. And you know what my Bible says? That the guy that gets saved in the last hour of his life gets all the same things as somebody that's been saved sixty years. There's only one thing this man didn't get. He couldn't get any rewards because there was nothing he could do on the cross. We said last Sunday, you have to work for rewards. He couldn't work. He's soon to be dead. The Holy Spirit of God caused this man to realize all these things and believe in a matter of minutes. Without a Bible, without a tract, probably never been to church because there was no such thing as a church. The only thing they had that could even resemble a church was the temple. And if he wasn't a Jew, he wouldn't be allowed in there. Where did all this information come from? It says it's on his mind. I mean, there it is, what he says. It had to come from the Holy Spirit of God moving on this man's heart and his mind. God did it all. He came after him and he got him and he guaranteed him all. In a matter of minutes. Only the grace of God in the cross of Christ is what can instantly transform a reviling sinner into one with an attitude of saving faith and confession. That's what he did. Please save me, Jesus. And he told the other in the presence of Jesus where Jesus could hear it, Hey, guy, don't you realize they're coming after us for what we did. They're justified in doing that. It's right that they do that. This man's not done anything. Why would you pick at him? He began to see the justice of his own punishment and the sinless character of a saving Christ. He figured out who Jesus is. That's what all of us have to do. Coming from unsaved to saved, to born again, to being a Christian, to being a person, what they called on that day, of the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to God except through me, Jesus said. All happened in a moment. And he learned with Jesus, wherever that is, he didn't know anything about it. Jesus told him, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't have a clue where that was. They didn't talk that in the temple. They didn't talk it on the streets. Jesus hadn't preached it. But Jesus told him essentially is wherever I am, there you will be with me. And guaranteed it. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now you remember what we've been preaching Sunday after Sunday here for weeks? Jesus always did exactly what God told him to. Jesus never disobeyed God one time. He also told us all through the middle book of, middle of, of John that he did exactly what his father told him to do. All those miracles he was doing, he didn't do them by himself. He did them because God told him to do them. And this statement right here, God told him, you tell this man that he's born again, that he'll be with you in heaven forever. And he did just exactly that. God saved the man through the work of the Holy Spirit, that peace of God that dwells in all of us today because we're born again. That thing worked on this man like he worked on you and me before we were Christians and convinced us of who Jesus was and the best thing we could do would be with him. Same thing. Yeah, it's a little peculiar because this guy cursed Jesus and was hanging on the cross the rest of his life. But he understood everything that you and I do. He had to. Or he wouldn't have been with Jesus. Except for those who were saved by faith in the Old Testament, this is probably the first man that was saved because 3,000 were saved 52 days later at Passover. But Peter, even, a disciple of Jesus who had been with him three years, the night before, at the Last Supper, right after the Last Supper, Jesus turns to Peter and says, When thou art converted... You will do this. Peter wasn't saved the day before. And here's this crook with no good reputation at all, never has done one single thing to make him worthy to be a Christian. And God made him a Christian through Jesus Christ right there on that cross. That's a great story, folks. You know why? because it's just like our story. I didn't accept Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. I was sitting in a pew, First Baptist Church in Valley. I got a chance to walk aisle, to shake the preacher's hand, to sign a card. And two weeks later, me and a couple of other guys that I witnessed to were all baptized at the same time. This guy, he can't do any of that. But he's guaranteed a life with Jesus Christ without ever being a member of a church or doing any of the things that we say today that everybody's got to do. I'm going to tell you something. This to me is one of the greatest lessons in the Bible that this thing called salvation is one thing and one thing only. Oh, it's got its frills and all the other things that go along with it. Because we make them that away. We decided they'd be that away. But the whole thing about being saved is what happens to your heart. Change your mind, Jesus said, and start believing on me. Because the kingdom of heaven, that that ability to be able to live as a Christian on this earth. It's not talking about heaven. It's talking about down here. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is being a born-again believer walking around on this earth. And Jesus said, it's coming and it's going to be close. And it was. It was 52 days later. All that you and I have today This man hanging on that cross has. He received it in those few minutes. And he didn't deserve it. And you know what? I didn't either. I'll let you make that determination for your own self. Because I didn't have it coming. I know now that I didn't why in the world God would step out and call me and move his Holy Spirit to work on me to make me believe? I don't know. But he did. And that's the way he's done with you too. And you've got to believe that God put us in the same boat as he did this sinner right here before we were saved. We were all born enemies to God. And we had to learn to believe that God sent Jesus to save us and to bring us out of this world that Satan controls today. All that you and I had, this man on the cross had it, except for rewards. He couldn't get crowns because he never had a chance to do anything for God. He spoke to that other thief, but there's no record that the other thief believed anything different after he talked to him. And you know, it's been said that the word of a dying man is never a lie. I don't know whether that's true or not, but this man right here knew he was dying. I don't believe he was telling a lie. I believe he told just exactly what he felt in his heart because the Holy Spirit had told him about Jesus. And that's all it took. That's all it took. He didn't have to go to Sunday school until he was 10 years old or whatever. He just got it all in a matter of a few minutes of being with Jesus Christ. And apparently is one of the few that did. I don't believe that any of the disciples were saved at this point right here. Maybe Peter. Maybe Peter. But it was John the next morning or three days later when he ran to the grave and saw the clothes laying over in one place and Jesus gone, that John remembered what Jesus had said. The rest of them had forgotten that Jesus was in the business of being obedient to God and dying for our sins and for this thief's sin also. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for being our God. Thank you for having a plan that included us. Thank you for sending Jesus that he might pay the price for the sins that we were born with so that we could be forgiven and be called your children. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray at this point that you would move us to live like we're your children and not to take it for granted, not to make it small like these guys did and not believe, but to know who we are, what power you have given us And that you have a plan for each one of us. And that we need to get in the middle of that plan, whatever it is. We need to be with Jesus, listen to Jesus, follow Jesus' instructions. That we might be approved of by you. And be, wind up in the same place that this man did. That paradise where the tree of life is growing in heaven. So Lord, we thank you for going into so much trouble to have this side story written in so much detail that we can see the process in a person that we probably wouldn't even want to associate with. Make us see that. And give us motivation to share what we have with others, no matter who they are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you want, you can turn to 1 Corinthians in chapter 11. As is custom here at the church at Briarfield, we have the Lord's Supper on Resurrection Sunday every year. It just seems like the thing to do. one thing I want to make a point of and every year since I learned it I try to share it if I can Jesus wasn't starting some type of special service what we call communion or the Lord's supper when he sat down and ate that night he was eating supper that's all we've got a sign out in the fellowship hall It's one of these scriptures. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, remember me. Now he wasn't talking about as often as you go to church and you have communion, remember me. I honestly believe at that point that he was saying every time you sit down and eat, every time you drink, Every time you eat bread, you remember me. Every time you do it. That would seem the more likely thing he did instead of just remembering him when you come to church and they got a white sheet over a bunch of wine and bread. Think about that. Because it said in 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. I have given you what was given to me. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. He ate. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. You remember what we've been talking about today, this thing of Resurrection Sunday. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. A lot of preachers don't read this part. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of this cup. For he that eateth and drinketh it unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. If you drink and participate in the Lord's Supper unworthily, you damn damn yourself. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep or are dead. He said, because you participated in this, unworthily, a lot of folks are sick and are weak and a lot of folks are dead. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. What that is saying to us, folks, is we're fixing to bow our heads and I'm going to ask you to pray to God that he forgive you of your sins so that when we participate here, you will be a forgiven Christian and you will be worthy to do this because God said so. The way you're unworthy, the way you condemn yourself is to have sin in your life that you will not confess. That is what is called unworthy here. So we're going to take a moment that each one of us might pray that we can be forgiven for God, by God, for our sins, so that we can participate in the communion of the Lord's Supper and be worthy to do so. Let's pray.